live? Recording? Are we watching this we're, live? We're recording now. We're not live. Now we're live. We're Should I share it on my Facebook? Yeah, if you want to, man. Gotta, so Facebook Live. So we're, actually, so we're streaming this, guys, right now. Uh, thank you. Welcome, everybody, to uh, our first podcast. This is the Anti-Gravity Detroit podcast, where we talk about businesses and how do we rise up, and particular focus on black business, the triumphs and the challenges, and the universal stories that go along with that. So I'm really excited. I've been around um, entrepreneurship since I was, I was born. My dad was an architect I, uh, uh, when he got older, and um, I actually helped him run the company. I also had a, uh, uh, a manufacturing startup that uh, didn't really start up. I learned a lot from that. Uh, and, that's, and also I ran a program at Wayne State University for the last eight years where we helped companies start up. Um, we, we saw a plethora of businesses from technology to nonprofit to retail. We saw businesses that already existed. There were bakeries that came in. There were um, uh, individuals that had uh, barbershops. Then we also had people that had biomedical uh, research companies. And we also helped out some of the uh, technology transfer folks at Wayne State as well. So we were all over the place. And so I saw a reoccurring theme. I saw a reoccurring theme of people um, we had about, about 2,000 people in our program, and about 40% of the individuals in this entrepreneurship program were African American. And 20% of the people at the school were African American. So, so the, it was double the amount of, of the population at Wayne State. And I saw a, a, a ton of things that kept repeating. And so the, these, these podcasts are gonna uh, talk about the things that I saw and the things that we, that we learned that could help and get real about you know where we're still stuck, which is a big part of this discussion. So that's it from uh, about me. But I'm very very happy to have Eric Thomas, Osaga Marketing, a very prolific person that speaks his mind and and gets to the real of issues. And I don't want to sugarcoat anything. So uh, <laughs> and this gentleman is probably one of the most eloquent speakers on on the issues. You're blunt, but you still say it well. Hey, so I, I thank you for being here. Sometimes you gotta be honest and ratchet. You know, you yes. Gotta, you gotta tell the truth, but you gotta tell the truth in a way that makes you feel better. Yeah. I'm really just ranting and other people can hear me. It's really a problem. <laughs> <laughs> well, tell, tell us a little bit about, about Saga Marketing and what, what was the story behind that and what's the mission? All right, so Saga is a storytelling agency, right? We, we fall kind of in the marketing and advertising space. Mm -hmm. um, we have a goal. It's funny, we just, we, did the, we just did the businessy thing, right? You go through and you look at your, your BHAG and your, your, like your big, hairy, audacious goals, all that kind of mm -hmm. stuff that they make you do in business school that nobody really cares about. And um, it's, it's true. Nobody yeah. Like nobody's reading your business plan for real. People just need to see that so they can see if they're going to reject you based upon what your name is. But, um, <laughs> but Saga, our goal is to make the world a smaller place, right? We, okay. this idea that we are a lot more alike than we are different, mm -hmm. but the things that are different are dope. This, I think that we have this, I, there's, there's a, a universal belief that different is bad. That's why you hear people say terms like colorblind. Colorblind is so, being colorblind is so ridiculous to me mm -hmm. because you are erasing someone's identity to make yourself more comfortable with them. It's like saying, oh, I don't see anything that's unique about you, so I don't judge you. Right. It's like, no, no, you should see all the things unique about me and also not judge me, right. you bum, right? Like, it's the, it was, 
because you whack, I can't be black no more. Like, no, I'm black and I enjoy it. Right. Right. And so we want to tell those stories because it is, it's important that you acknowledge people. When people get to see themselves mm -hmm. um, in leadership, in media, in, in stories, then they know that they're not alone. And when you let people know that they're not alone, you can save somebody from the ledge. You know, sometimes you're just on the ledge by yourself. Teenagers are a good example of this. Every single teenager is the only person who's ever been broken up with before. <laughs> ever. <laughs> they're the only sad person ever. I know you had a divorce, mom, but I am the only one who experienced heartbreak like this. I knew him for four weeks. <laughs> And it's in, 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 but, but that's a real thing. Yeah. People feel isolated. And so Saga, our goal as a marketing agency, which is not really the goal of a marketing agency, our goal is to sell you by any means necessary, right? It's like marketing actually is funny because it allows you to be like racist and lie as a part of your job. <laughs> Seriously, it's, it's the only profession where you are encouraged to put people in boxes. Yes. It's the only one where you're encouraged to look at somebody and then make a judgment based upon their outward appearance, right? It's like judge, right. a, like we're in the judge a book by its cover profession. Mm -hmm. um, and then we are encouraged to not lie. We're encouraged to spin, right? PR, Marty, marketing, media. Uh, I don't want to do that. I don't want to be a BS artist. I tell that to my clients all the time. Right. So you don't, how do you not compromise that? How do you, how do you? You just don't fucking do it. <laughs> I, I mean, you, <laughs> seriously, I, I think people really overcomplicate that stuff. I've said to clients, absolutely not more than once. Right. Because it's not, when you come to an organization, especially like ours who has uh, the trust of a community, mm -hmm. like I feel like I'm betraying my family members by hand delivering them to you because I know what they want to hear. Right. And so, and most of the marketing has become incredibly generic. Anyways, this emotional storytelling is always like, you remember when your grandmother used to cook you pancakes on Sunday morning and then you used to go to church? It's like, oh my God, I remember that. It's like, do you remember when your mom came and hugged you and you felt really sad, but then you were really happy? Yeah, here's some Skittles. What the f <laughs> <laughs> What? It's because they know what, what resonates with you. Right. And so you have the opportunity to use that to make people feel heard and relevant, but you also have the, the opportunity to manipulate somebody yeah. and deliver an audience to someone who really doesn't deserve them. Right. So do you think that, that companies are, are kind of predatory or are they just, or is it just that they're just trying to make money or is it something in between? It's a little of both. Right. I think people have been able to kind of deceive themselves and believe in their greater good. Everybody's right. mission statement is so BS right now, yeah. right? Like, like Pepsi's mission statement is just like, you know, like hug all the babies or some shit. Like it, it's like, what does this pop have to do with this right. like making the world go around shit? Like what does it have to do with that? Right. It, re relevancy <laughs> is relevancy is disappearing in marketing big time. It, so it's crazy. But if you look at if you look at the black, uh, if you look at the black market, well not the black market, but the the, um, the the buying power, the purchasing power of the uh, black population in the United States, it's what one trillion dollars. One point one. Yeah, and it's the it's, next one is one point three. Yeah. Global GDP is sixteen point seven, something like that. Yeah, and I don't. And that's, <laughs> that's not a good thing. That's, that's money going out the door, and and, and money with some of that money it should stay in and be invested or reinvested. 
So that's a problem in itself. I, I hear that, that I, yeah. it, it, it frustrates me when people talk about the, the black spin. Mm -hmm. And the reason why is because that the, the, the a, a, our net worth is ridiculously low in comparison. Right. Right, like ridiculously right. low. I think it was, right. it, it's, some, it's some shit like the average black person is worth like $1,000, the average white person is worth like 250000 Like it's bananas. It's because yeah. we don't own things, right? Mm -hmm. You're just factoring in like white folks' homes, right? right. They have like health, and there's certain, there's certain things that, that lead directly to it, right? We don't tend to have life insurance, so yeah. when, a, when a parent or family member dies, it's not a positive. It sounds terrible when your mom dies, it's positive, but it's not normally positive, but you do get some money from that. Right. When my mom died, that came out of my pocket. I think I got $4,000, yeah. and that was after we had the cremator. Like, we didn't have enough yeah. to bury her, yeah. and so she, I let, like, leave her somewhere and, like, yeah. figure it out. So, so my, my dad was a professional. <laughs> he was an architect, but he only left a $2,000 See. Policy. And it was, it just was bananas. It's not even about like income. It's yeah. just like culturally, like yeah. we're not planning for death. Yeah. And so you start over almost every generation. Yes. And so you're not able to like take that money. So that's why I'm always surprised when I see like a 24 year old white kid with like a brand new house and car. And I'm like, what the fuck was that? It's like, yeah. oh yeah, my grandma died, bro. I got like a hundred grand. So I moved to downtown Detroit. Right. I'm like, that sounds fun. Uh, I mean, sorry, your grandma died, but I would love a condo too. Right. And, 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 and there's very there's very simple A to B lines right. about why the wealth isn't distributed. But if if we go back to the idea of the of the black spin, um, one trillion dollars is not actually a lot of money in the grand screen, scheme of a community. What black people do better than almost any other group in the world, I would say, I'm talking about specifically American black people out of the black diaspora, right? That right. includes Brazil and everybody else. Right. What we do is we create and accelerate culture at a rate that I don't think any other group does in the way we do it, mm -hmm. right? That's why like hip hop is the number one music mm -hmm. consumption like in the world. We had, if you think about almost every artistic export in America going back to slavery, it's been us. Jazz, mm -hmm. disco, yeah. R&B, right. hip hop, the, the clothing styles, the, but we've never been able to own any of it because to own requires distribution. Mm -hmm. And we have not had the distribution channels because that requires Money. Master P did that, didn't he? Okay. Did he? Right. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, he, 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 he owned his, I think he had owned his own label, and he, I think he distributed it himself he did. to a degree, right? So the, that was a good model. That was a good model. That's it, what I'm saying. It, it was a decent model. It, it, what, what, happens, what, what happens that makes me nervous about that is when people talk about the black dollar, when they talk about the circulation of the black dollar, right. I don't hear other communities often talking about the circulation of the dollar so much as the ingress. What we don't have is we don't have money coming from outside communities into our right, community. Right, like, right. screw the whole, like, well, spinning it around right. in a circle. If you've got, if I got $1 mm -hmm. and you got $1 mm -hmm. and he got $25 mm -hmm. and we're concerned about this $2 that we never bring money into the community, right? that is one of the biggest challenges that I think we're having. And, and yes, we should be able to circulate it, but we probably need to go make some, too. So, so the... To that point, I've seen a lot of people, a lot of entrepreneurs that come from different backgrounds, not just like, you know, not the, the not just entertainment, um, mm -hmm. marketing as well, technology. I know a lot of like really capable technology folks that um, can do amazing things and great programs. They can program IoT, they can you know, do machine learning. Uh, and I don't see, I don't see a lot of them getting big jobs. I'm trying to work on that myself right now with TrainX, with our company that, that trains people in, in artificial intelligence. 
but we're, I, and, I, and I know people that have some great services, but I, I don't see, I don't, I don't see people seeing how great they are, right? So, and a lot of times what I see, what I see is that these individuals that are great at, at whatever skill set they have, be it technology, be it a service or whatever, they, they, they try to do everything themselves a lot. And what they could use is somebody to help promote them. Or they could use, as Amanda said early, earlier, like an operator, someone that kind of takes care of the, uh, the operations of the organization so they can push further. But it's just, it's, I, don't, I don't see it enough. I don't see teams of people I have pushing a theory. something. Yes. I have a theory that we are talking about entrepreneurship wrong. I think that, I feel like I was just talking about this earlier today. I've been ranting about it. I spoke to 100 black men about it yesterday, and it's, it's been like a rant because it's sitting in my soul right now. Yeah. We think that people who own businesses are entrepreneurs. I think that is the complete wrong way to look at entrepreneurship. I think that an, I think entrepreneurship is a talent. I think it's a talent like playing the saxophone, being an artist, mm -hmm. being a singer. I think it's a talent. Right. I think the singular talent of an entrepreneur is to find is to create a process yeah. that be, that is replicable, that extracts and exchanges value consistently over time. Right. That is this core skill set of an entrepreneur. It's not the speaking stuff. It's not the hugging people stuff. Like that's sales, right? right. It's right. not the making right. stuff, right? That is manufacturing. You know, it's sculpting, like. It is that process. Right. And what is, what is happening is that everybody with a talent, somebody says to them, bro, you should sell that. Right. And so they're like, I think I'm an entrepreneur now. But here's the problem. Your job as an entrepreneur is process driven. Mm -hmm. Your job is to keep making the processes so the thing gets more efficient so you can keep selling. What you, what you end up doing is none of the stuff you actually want to. Graphic designers, when we go into business, like I'm a graphic designer by trade, when I went into business and I had to stop doing graphics, I didn't stop doing graphics and so my business suffered. You see all these really talented people whose business suffer because they can't take their hands off the thing. Right. Because that's the thing that they do. Right. Right. And, <laughs> and that's, it's fear. It's, it's fear, right? It's, I don't know if it's fear, I think it's, what, so what is a talent really, right? I think, well, there's another theory, right? I could be terribly wrong. I think a, I think talent is simply the propensity to continue to do a thing right. that allows you to ignore the pain while you're honing that skill. And that's it. <laughs> I don't believe that anybody is innately born dope at stuff. I think they just do it for a long time because they're compelled. Like, right. they talent it. is they a compulsion. It. Yeah. And so you're playing the piano and your fingers are bleeding and everybody's like, you need to stop doing it. It's like, but I love the piano. Right. If you played the piano as much as somebody who was compelled to play the piano, right. you'd be as good as them at the piano. Right. Entrepreneurship is very similar, right? I think entrepreneurship is, I think we should, I think entrepreneurship classes should teach entrepreneurship like art classes. When, if you look at an art student, they have to draw every day. They have to fill a notebook. I think you should have to entrepreneur a little bit every day. I think you just have to just keep doing it. The reason why I say it is because if I've never met an entrepreneur who was like a prolific entrepreneur that didn't start selling stuff when they were like three years old. They immediately saw the value equation mm -hmm. of an object. They were like, they're like, how long have you been doing this? Like, bro, I was selling Skittles in the fourth grade. Yeah. Then I was selling candy and this. Candy out of the Then locker. they were like, I got that money yeah. from that, yeah. and I bought this thing, and I had this bike. Then my friend left his bike on the corner, so I right. saw the bike, deconstructed the bike, sold the bike. Right. I'd be like, damn, like, since you was three? And then by the time they're 25, they're running a business. You're like, man, he's so lucky and talented. They've been selling. 
Right. They've been working the mechanism of sales and being rejected because that's a muscle. Being rejected and still feeling optimistic is a muscle you grow. Yes. It's an entrepreneurial talent. It's part of the process. Yes. So one of the best salesmen I know that is, uh, has his own business now. I think they're pulling in about $2 million in revenue. Uh, Jason Beal used to work with me. Uh, he learned sales from selling knives door to door. And he learned, and he's six, five, black dude, real big. So he learned how to talk to people in a very disarming way. You gotta defuse them. Yeah, defuse them and just, just, and came <laughs> Big black guy show up in my door now, I'm starting to ask some questions. <laughs> <laughs> but he just came, he became this lovable guy that just listened. And, and he, he learned sales great. I've never seen a person do sales better than him. But you know what I'm saying? So, that's yeah. a, that's a, that is the, he entrepreneured a little every day. Right. That's why I keep calling it. Like it, it. It's really starting to become a thing that I'm starting to really understand. You have to do it because I don't, I don't consider myself an entrepreneur. I consider myself an artist that's in business, right? I, I consider myself an impatient artist right. where I'm, I am starting things because I see holes. One, one thing I think that we really get confused is I think we think that visionaries are entrepreneurs. I don't think that's true. I think when you look at some of these folks who have these really, really big businesses, mm -hmm. like look at Facebook. I'll use Facebook for what Zuckerberg listens. He's going to be mad at me, but it's whatever. I don't think Mark Zuckerberg is an entrepreneur. I think Mark Zuckerberg has one good-ass idea, Facebook. I haven't seen anything else Mark Zuckerberg launch take off. Mm -hmm. He tried to OS on the phone. Not fucking with it. He tried to help some schools in New Jersey. Not fucking with it. Every time he touches anything other than, than, than Facebook, right. it's not sweet. In fact, Sheryl Sandberg had to take Facebook from him, right? He wasn't making no money yeah. with Facebook. It took a bunch of entrepreneurs to come in, look at Facebook, and go, this is how you make money with this. Right. But, that, but that goes back to what I'm saying, though. Is that what, what I've noticed is that just on a small level, when there's one person was a single or onepreneur, whatever they call it. Solopreneur. Solopreneur, whatever. It is very, they're either very lucky if they're successful to get mm -hmm. going. Because what happens is that people come to them that are, are proficient where they're deficient. If they like the idea, if they bought into Facebook, they say, look, I'm going to join on because it's an amazing thing. And I'm going to tweak it this way. Like Steve Jobs. Right? Steve Jobs had uh, uh, Steve Wozniak, who actually built the, uh, yeah. the PC, right? And then also Steve Jobs had Guy Kawasaki help frame the story. See, right. I'm saying, Steve so Jobs he, is a visionary. Yeah. I didn't. I don't think Steve Jobs was an entrepreneur. Yeah. I think he was a person I, I, that I saw holes. Regardless if you call it entrepreneurship or whatever, I'm saying how how a person starts a business and makes money. And I'm saying I, I, I've seen this a lot. And and just growing up, my dad had his own business. He was an architect, uh, but he started it in the '40s, and he came in as a junior partner. He's much older than I was. He was born in 1917, and so it was all about partnership then. So mm -hmm. there was like three or four guys typically. That, that ran the company. And and wherever wherever one was weak, somebody was 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 strong. My dad was good at making everyone feel comfortable and, and doing sales and also training the, the people underneath him. So he like he used to hire people out of Wayne, out of uh, out of Cast Tech, uh, out of their ar architectural program. I um, once sat down at a city planning commission uh, meeting, this is years after my dad died, and they were talking about tearing down one of the houses he left me. And I, as soon as I walked into this hearing, the person saw my name. I'm the second. He said, oh, your dad was the first person that hired me. This guy was like 70. This is like four years ago. He said uh, he hired all the African Americans out of Cass Tech in the 50s, uh, out of the architectural program. Do A, B, and C, and you're good. Have a nice day. So he just, he was that guy. He, that, he was that guy 
that, that saw talent and, and trained people. Has anybody had that little bit of desire or whatever to be an architect? He trained folks. So he, ha he had a team.